Mike Mills with uh, Verity Mortgage again today. Um, coming to you with uh, Amy Cornell. Um, she is a broker here in DFW with a company called Front Real Estate, um, which is actually her company that she started with her husband. How many years? 2014. 2014. Yep. So, so a little while ago. But um, I want to talk to Amy today because um, you know this is for all of my agents out there that are kind of wondering. You know where, where's this whole market going like what is happening you know we're, we're all dealing with inventory shortages we're dealing with multiple offers we're dealing with you know a lot of competition really between agents trying to get listings and and all that kind of stuff so um, I thought um, Amy's been in the business a very long time she actually has a unique background in that she served in kind of all facets of um, real estate um, to eventually lead her to being a broker uh, broker here in Arlington but um, so I want to kind of get some of her thoughts on you know where we are in the market, where we're kind of going, you know, compared to things that you've seen in the past and, yeah. you know, what you see coming down the pipe. Um, but, uh, but just like everything else, um, I always kind of like to start with, um, you know, a little bit about you. Because cool. obviously, um, you know, you've uh, been in Arlington a long time. A lot of people uh, around the area kind of are familiar with you. But for those that aren't, um, kind of help us understand why you are definitely the expert on this topic. Uh, well. <laughs> Arlington is home, um, so I was born at Arlington Memorial and really haven't left, so um, I've been here for a long time. Um, but more than that, I really hope to continue to invest in the community and try to make it a better place. And so that's really what um, Spencer and I's goal is, is really to, when we decided kind of as a grown-up to move back and say, hey, okay, yeah, we're going to really settle here forever, um, that we wanted to make sure that the community continued to grow and do good things and that we had a part of service to that community. So that's been really cool to be able to serve on this real estate side, take the knowledge that we had and be able to share it with our uh, clients and customers and really hopefully, you know, really make make everything better as we continue to go. Um, so I have had this kind of unique background where I had done title and mortgage before coming over to this side. I like this side better. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, you know, so Trust me, I, I've thought about it myself a few times. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where you kind of have to figure out your jam. Took me a couple of plot spots, yeah. but I did learn a whole lot along the way. And so that does give me this kind of unique perspective to yeah. be able to bring to the situation. Um, I am also a huge dork and love a lot of education. And so I am constantly seeking out and trying to make sure that um, I don't have any gaps in the you don't know what you don't know type situation. Yep. And so um, to that end, so I uh, went to 10 economic forums um, this year, really trying wow. to figure out, you know, where is this market going? What, you know, what can we give good advice and opinion for our clients about and how can we, you know, really confidently say, hey, this is what we anticipate to come next because it's hard, you know, yeah. I mean, people are coming to both of us all the time and it's like, well, I, yeah, I mean, that's a good question. You know, yep. what, what our value is going to do? Is this now the right time? How do I jump in, in this, you know, potentially a lot of uncertainty that is happening in the market right now. Now, oh, uh -oh we lost my, your background. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> my, we'll open now, it up all a little bit. to say <laughs> is, um, my market, it is a little bit hard to say what the situation is, um, given the, the current, unrest in the Ukraine, right? right. So there's a lot of stuff all, going all on. All of world. that is is yeah. new information. So right. I'll tell you that, you know, it is we are all waiting, you know, with a little bit of bated breath yep. to see what will happen related to that. However, 
the markets have been very clear on what they anticipate will happen this year. So specifically regarding interest rates, which I know y'all yep. have talked about already, but that, you know, hey, we are in a rising interest rate environment. There's no secret on that. Some of that has already built, been built into pricing, but it definitely should be built into consumer expectations as we continue to go in 2022. So that is, kind of known, like we're yeah. good. We, we have the heads up on that. What we have the question mark then on is how does that reflect in pricing? And it, you know, traditionally we would have seen this interest rate environment rising and that that would cool off um, consumer interest. Yeah. And so then they would back off a little bit and it would more stabilize pricing. However, what we are seeing now is, and what all these economists are seeing that we're talking to is that because there is so much demand for housing in the Metroplex for a couple reasons. First reason, not really the, the primary reason, not being all the outsiders coming in, yep. but being the lack of supply and um, due to a failure to keep up with building trends. So we're looking at this situation of, hey, we've, you know, we have underbuilt since 2008. Yep. You know, we thought, oh my gosh, we were getting too fat and happy in 08. And so let's pull it back. And we just have not gotten to the levels where we really needed to be to keep up from a capacity perspective. And it takes years to, to grow years. that. It's not something you can just fix overnight. No, and it really is something that still from a legislative perspective needs to be fixed as we continue to see um, different things happening with bank loans and that kind of thing. like way up higher on the developer yeah. level than what we're seeing down on the consumer level. What are your thoughts on that specifically about, so, you know, there are obviously homes being built. You can go out and, you know, mm -hmm. find new neighborhoods built all the time. The problem is, is that most of those homes are four, five, you know, $600,000. The, the affordable housing, you know, when I first bought my house in 2004, my very first home, I paid $130,000 for it. It was a 1,800 square foot home right. and right off of Shorewood in Arlington, right there by the lake, nice neighborhood, the whole deal. And now that house, I think, is selling for like 260 or 280. Probably you know? three. So almost three. Uh, all yes. Day. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. so where, why do you think there's such a big gap between builders being able to build homes that are affordable and the first-time home buyer really not being able to to find anything that's in their range? Yeah, such a great question. And I'm going to correct you a little bit on the affordable housing thing. Okay. Now we're now we're the buzzword is attainable. Attainable. Right. Okay. So Good. it's saying, hey, we're not we're not even trying to create affordability we're trying to make it attainable for people right. and so it does and and i think that does just kind of bring like a little bit of the like cancel culture to that of yep. like we're trying to be change words sensitive to that but yeah. it is we are trying to be sensitive to that and make sure that we have appropriate housing for folks at all sorts of income levels right. within our community and it definitely there is has been a more kind of egregious impact on yep. that lower end side um, so it is this like, okay, how do we help that? How do we get there? Um, part of it is trying to create that more supply. Yep. So part of that actually then backs up into what are our zoning laws and what are our ordinances within the cities to okay. modify, to change. So like currently within the city of Arlington, um, if you had a lot that you wanted to build on, the um, unif uh, the UDC, the Unified Development Code, would say that you need to put a 1,500 square foot or more single family house okay. on that property. Well, when you look at attainable housing, 1,500 square feet at 200 bucks a foot, which you know is kind of average around yep. right now, that's going to put it at a $300,000 plus home. Yep. So, in order to get something more attainable under 300,000, we've got to potentially change up some of the zoning laws to get different product on the ground 
also potentially got to change some of the consumer mentality of, hey, I don't need to have 2,500 in order to accommodate my family. There are ways to accommodate a family underneath that. And so that, um, you know, that tends to change too. I mean, when y'all bought your first house at 1,800 square feet, I mean, when my parents bought their first house at 1,200 square feet and had three kids in there, you know, so part of that is we kind of have this modification over time where I think we we swelled to a little bit and yeah. now we'll kind of see some constriction back to a more potentially more modest um, first time home buyer product out there but still something so that it's not being forced into the rental market and letting home ownership leave. Well and I think too um, when you look at uh, the expectations of the people purchasing the homes mm-hmm. I do think there is a bit of a generational shift that's occurred in that the the Millennials and the Gen Z's really aren't necessarily looking for the McMansion right, right. they're not trying to find the house that is 2,500 square feet I yes. think the economic crisis that we went through in 2007 and 2008 and then the ups and downs that we've experienced have really kind of put a stain to some extent on what their expectations of whether it is you know we're buying a bunch of stuff you have to have to have the nicest car you have to have the biggest house yeah. i think some of that's starting to wane a little bit but i didn't even think about the idea that a lot of the issue about attainable housing has more to do with what the code for each city where it's being built is. I mean, because I'm in Mansfield and I know that Mansfield has, you know, I've been to a couple city council meetings where they've talked about the minimum square footage that they have to build because they don't, you know, for whatever reason, they don't want the the smaller homes coming in to keep driving values up, I would imagine, right? Yeah, and it's one of those things that just over time, the, a lot of the jurisdictions right. have gotten that way, and there, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but it does really impact that affordability right. option. Um, so. Well, and I was concerned because I saw recently, and I think it was on a national level, but I know in Texas it was big too, is that the amount of homes being purchased by individuals versus entities, the ratio has changed quite a bit because mm-hmm. in 2021, it was something like, you may know better than me, 20 to 30% of homes purchased in the United States were purchased by entities and not people. Now, granted, you know, there's a lot of flips in there. People are buying and you know, fixing up houses and selling them. So I think there's you know, 10 to 15% of that market went back for sale. Yeah. But you know, my concern and what I see a lot is you know, everybody leases their cars now. You know, we, we all get on Spotify and lease our music. Uh. Yeah. You know, we, we lease everything and we're getting to a point that if you can't afford a three or $400,000 house, you know, you, you're kind of becoming a renter. And, yeah. and that's, you know, that concerns me a little bit just as a, as a person that just wants people to have, you know, home ownership. So it, it concerns me too. And I have this um, pretty, pretty knockdown drag out argument with some of these folks that are building, um, building specific product now for just rent. Yes. So single family for rent product. Um, and so that's impacting where then that's less single family that's on the ground for purchase. It right. is really just for rent. And their argument is, hey, there are a lot of consumers out there that just prefer this. They don't want to have to deal with that broken pipe and they don't want to have to deal with, you know, the cost of transition of selling a home and then buying another one in a different market. If they get relocated, they just want to be able to just in that lease and move on to the next product. There's a little bit of truth to that probably. There probably is. Yeah. Um, however, when you look at generational wealth and the transfer of that, and what um, people who have been marginalized over time, it's those tenants. And so that is what is our big concern from the real estate community side is not to say that that doesn't have a place. Potentially it does have a place in this market. Um, But we also want to make sure that there is an attainable option for those people to at least consider regarding home ownership and that they don't feel like that is their only option. Because really, when you look at that, um, so let's say these these entities um, that are building this build for rent situation, 
they're building it, the market is likely going to continue to increase, their values are going to continue. So let's Rents say they're building at 300 right now, and that likely will be at you know 400 in the next five years, let's say. And during that time period, that tenant is going to see that rent go up and up and up versus a homeowner that goes in and purchases that home at $300,000 now. The value is going to go up, so they're going to have this equity, this cool equity growth that's happening for that. Their payment is going to be impacted by the rising taxes and insurance sure. potentially, but their payment is going to be locked in on that 30-year payment, right. and so that does not have that like kind of um, cyclical affordability issue where they're dealing with that every year of, oh my gosh, rent went up again, oh, again, 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 and I've got to continue to fight that battle. Well, inflation obviously is a big topic for everybody that you know everybody's concerned about rising prices of everything. Well, that includes homes and rent and everything else. But I, I don't, some people I don't feel like fully understand that inflation when it comes to real estate, if you own it, Granted, now right. if you own it, it's actually a, a good thing. It can work in your favor, right? Right, because yeah. your value goes up. The money that you borrowed three years ago, this year, the year before, whatever, that money that you borrowed is is fixed and it's not affected by inflation. Right. So and unlike your rent, which is going to continue to go up with inflation, so it becomes a real challenge for people these days to really see that. Okay, if you if you're really concerned about that and you have some money to put somewhere and you're worried about that money being devalued because every day it sits in your savings account unfortunately yeah. it loses value it's a depreciating asset but if you put it into real estate into an appreciating asset that's a benefit of inflation that has a benefit of rising prices mm -hmm. then over time that debt is more manageable and now you have an actual asset that you can use to right. leverage to create wealth right? yeah absolutely and that's and that's what we're seeing homeowners do all the time right now i mean they are they have been a part of this like pretty rapid increasing environment that we did not anticipate but they are getting the benefit of that right. and so it's not necessarily cash that they can utilize right this moment right. because it is locked up in their property and they you know they could do a home equity or something like that to leverage that but most of them are sitting with that equity in their house just like it would have been if they were sitting in a market account and their right. stock market had gone up they would just be sitting with that value there as well um, but long term, that is going to be a huge game changer for them and their ability to move up in the market. Right. So somebody who is coming into the market and saying, okay, right out of college, let's say maybe I go and rent for three or four years and then I buy something. Well, that then you buy something, then that first time buy it is still harder to attain than yes. the next time buy and the next time versus that next time buy, well, you had that equity growth in that first house and so you can roll that over and not have as much impact on that um, debt payment going forward right. too. So it really gives some more options for those people that will jump into the market sooner and stay in the market. That can, that, are you talking about like when they buy it right out of school, it continues to roll to the next one, roll to yes. the next one, roll to the next one so yeah. you can grow. Well, and I, I think if you look at most individuals that have any level of wealth, let's call it, um, the vast majority of them have holdings in real estate. I mean, yes. they just do, whether it be commercial properties, investment properties, their own personal house, second homes, whatever. It is a really good place to be able to put your money and know that it's gonna be taken care of over time because was it uh, Mark Twain, you know, it was like buy real estate, they're not making any more of it, right? right? So it's and a finite all resource. Runs the land. That's right. <laughs> so. so, So what do you think, you know, as we start looking forward to, you know, I, I joke nowadays when someone asks me, like, when's the best time to buy? I'm like, yesterday. Yeah, you know, yesterday sure. was the best time to buy for a hundred reasons. Um, 
So I have my opinions on this, but when someone calls you and says, okay, Amy, um, I see rates going up, I see prices going up, you know, when's it gonna settle down? Yeah. That, you know, that, that's a question we get. When is it actually gonna level out and plateau? Yeah, I'm gonna wait until that and then I'm gonna jump in. Right. right. Um, so we are seeing that there is likely not to be a reversal of the price point or anything like that. None of the economists are saying, hey, we're at, you know, let's say a, a $300,000 average now and we're gonna drop to a 275. No indication of that. We'll continue to go from three to three and a quarter to 350 to 375. We'll continue to rise um, at a pretty good clip potentially for the next four to five years minimum. Right. Because um, that's most of the time horizon. People don't go much further yeah, out than that. Could yeah. be longer than that, right? But, sure. um, you know, chances are that we will continue to be in this environment. So I do. I mean, every time that somebody asks me, like, when should I buy? It is yesterday. This is the lowest price that I will ever be able to sell that home in my career. Yeah. So. You know, either we jump in now mm -hmm. or we wait and, and let somebody else ride that um, that market up and right. continue to build the equity that way. Well, and you said this a minute ago. Um, it's I mean, really, it's 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 really basic economics. It's supply and demand, right? right. It's how much supply do we have and how much demand? Because the only way that you're going to see an ease in the market is if one of those things changes. Yeah. Okay, well, we understand based on what you were saying earlier, supply's not gonna catch up anytime soon right. because we just don't have enough builders. We have people, or I should say entities, buying homes that don't make their way back to the market, so they're being held as investments, so our market's shrinking even more. And then you look at demand and say, okay, well, maybe higher rates and things like that will cause demand to go down. And I would argue that there are maybe probably parts of the country where that will impact it, you know? I, yeah, I would say that's right. Midwest, you know, places like that where there isn't a, a strong influx of, of people. But here in Texas, and especially in DFW, that's not happening. And it's not happening anytime right. soon. If you've ever seen those little infographs, you know, that you'll find on the, on, on the internet where it shows like California and different countries on the coast and it shows their migration patterns mm -hmm. and where you're seeing the vast majority of people move to, it's right here. Yeah, and that is, that is having some impact for sure. So where we're seeing nationally values rising, the Metroplex is a little bit unique because we also have these migratory people yes. coming in as well, which we're here for as sure. long as, you know, Absolutely. we want to wave and say howdy and yeah. like, come on down guys. Yeah. Um, but we also are, yeah, because we're we're seeing that coupled with the lack of building and we've just got a lot of people that want to get into home ownership that that's what's causing some of that yeah um, you know I would say the only thing on the horizon that would impact where we wouldn't need as much building capacity would be really the um, you know the transition of the boomers really right. out of their housing and we don't and you know hopefully that's not real soon yeah. um, you know I don't know because that's my parents <laughs> you know, it's like you know it's like hopefully that's not like a super quick issue or anything like that but you know we've got another 10 years at least before that really starts to happen and even then we also have this um, kind of expiration date on some of the housing that is out there you know when you look across like Arlington is a great example um, East Arlington specifically is a great example so East Arlington was built out with tracked homes back in the um, 60s um, early 70s those homes were built as 30-year build products so the wood that they used for framing, the foundations, all of it was built with a mind of, we need to make sure that this house stays good for 30 years. Lasts a long time. Yeah. Right. But that was 20, that 30 years expiration was at right. least 20 years ago, right. if not 30 years ago. And so now like a lot of those homes are on borrowed time. And so they need to go through a rebuild process, kind right. of like what we're talking about. Well, that needs a builder to come in and do that needs that financing that needs that rebirth of some of that as well. And so we'll continue to see, you know, that, 
process go as um, the market continues to shift as well? Well, in, I mean, on the loan side of things, there is a lot of uh, renovation stuff that's becoming more and more, uh, yes. you know, a, a bigger player. They're becoming easier to do. Um, I, I will say in the it. past, yeah. it's, they're not, they're challenging to yeah. say the least, yeah. um, just because of the process. But it's becoming more and more prevalent just because, you know, these days when you're out looking at a house, and um, you're seeing what your options are in certain price ranges, it's very rarely is it gonna check all the boxes for you. It's just, it's, it's limited. So you have to have a little bit of a vision. You gotta be able to see through the, the old paint and the old flooring and walls and you know, kind of get an idea of what you can do to make it your space. But, um, and, these, and these products definitely help, um, but that doesn't make it any easier when you're having to look at 50 homes and they all have 25 contracts. Yeah. So um, another question for you is, um, you know, obviously you have a, a large brokerage here. You have agents uh, here in Dallas-Fort Worth. You have some in Austin, Houston, I mm -hmm. believe as well. So you guys are kind of all over the state. When you're talking to your agents that are dealing with buyers that come into this market, right? Because mm -hmm. Sellers are easy, right? right. <laughs> it's a, you know, if you can get the listing, that's the hard part, right? Yeah. Get the listing. If you can get it, then you know we're going to sell it for as much as we can, yeah. right? I well, really even get the listing, get the seller on board with transacting in this market because they've got to go somewhere too. Right. So they've like got to they got to find a place to land. Yes. So yeah. when it comes to buyers specifically, um, what are you telling your agents? Because you know, I, I see it on my end when I pre-approve people and they're out there looking at homes, and I'm even you know giving them the whole spiel up front now of hey, look. You know, your FHA borrower, you're trying to buy a $250,000 house, it's gonna to be tough sledding and here's yep. why. And we go through all that. But um, for agents that are saying, okay, well, I've got these people, their, real, their expectations, we're going to look at this first house and they don't wanna offer the list price. Right. You know, they're wanting to offer 5,000 under because yeah. they don't feel like it's worth it, et cetera. Yeah. So what are you telling these guys to help them, you know, kind of get their borrowers on the right track? Yeah, so we are starting with a really pretty intense buyer presentation at the beginning of the process so that they kind of understand right. more of what we're going through because I don't want for anybody even to go and look at a house and feel like they have a a real shot at getting it if right. they are making an offer under list, right? right? If they're making an offer asking for closing costs, if they're making an offer, you know, really potentially that's even at fair at full price. Yeah. Um, so that's where in that buyer consult, we're really going over, hey, here's where the market is. Let me show you some of these neighborhoods trading at an average, y'all, of 103% of list price to 100 right. and th that we're seeing them capped out at more like 115% of list price and helping them to understand there is a true need for cash above yep. the appraised amount because the appraisal is, is generally close to that list price. And when all these offers are coming in over, 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 the seller is expecting the buyer to um, guarantee that yeah. amount over appraisal and they're expecting them to bring that portion in cash. So that puts that buyer in a position where they need to have their down payment, so three to 5% mm -hmm. down payment, their closing costs, another 6,000-ish dollars, and then plus that differential in cash. So if that's another 3% over their purchase price and they're buying at 250, that's another $7,500. And so it does really impact that attainability from a cash upfront perspective because yep. they've got to have that in addition to being able to qualify and all those good things sure. which y'all are doing. But we really need them to be in a strong cash position to do that right now. And so we are having a lot of really, you know, kind of tearful conversations about like, hey, you've got to come up with that cash. And so really before we go and start looking at houses, because I don't want you to just lose, 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 maybe it's time to, to pick up DoorDash for a while and right. like really hoard some cash. Maybe it's time to talk to Aunt Edna and say, you know, hey, I know I'm I'm due 20,000, 
you know, someday. Right. Maybe today is the day. Right. You know, something. And that, y'all, that is tough. Yeah. That sucks. I hate to have to put people in that position, but that really is the reality. Is that without that cash, it is going to be really tough to transact in that market. And so that's on the the um, more on the first time home buyer right. side, where they're coming in, you know, with this expectation of I want to be a homeowner, but I really don't have a lot of cash. Right. I thought maybe I had a down payment assistance or something. There's really not any of that right now. If you're not in a strong cash position, then I've got to figure out how to get you into that stronger cash position. And um, so we're doing that to start. Then on our move up buyers or downsize buyers, where they are trading a house in order to get into another one, that's where we really do have some options for creativity, and we are yep. looking at more of how to leverage the equity in their home to make really solid offers on the next home without the fear of i just sold my house out from underneath me and so we are doing a lot of creative things mike and his team have been great at helping us figure that out for the individual's um asset portfolio that they have so you know it could be that we're drawn from 401k for that it could be that we're doing something more of a bridge or a home equity or that we are um, doing a lower down with a recast on the back end there are a lot of different options that we have out there that really with a great lender partner we can talk them through and get them comfortable with okay this is this is going to work like i am not going to put myself you know my mom that lives with us or three kids and you know eight dogs you know all out on the street because that's what i mean so many people are coming to us with and so we are really talking through that but it is definitely a different conversation than what we had had even a year ago y'all i mean it has just oh, changed it's dramatically on there. changed yeah. no no contingencies i i cannot i cannot sell your house with a con- i can't i can't help you buy a house if you still have a contingency on the sale of yours so we've got to figure that side out to make sure that they are really prepared going into this market. Well, and a and lot not of fearful. Yeah, well, right? I think I think a lot of people, you know, when it comes specifically to things like down payment, especially with your move up and your downsize people, you know, um, I mean, when you look just at your 401k, right? Uh, if you've been paying attention to the stock market last couple days, it's not doing the best. Right. Um, and that is certainly something that gets influenced by world affairs and all the stuff that's happening right now. So maybe taking some money out of that and putting it into your house isn't the worst idea in the world because yeah. it's protected and sheltered better there. But also too, um, a lot of times, you know, whether you're talking to your lender or your agent, you know, you want to understand what the impact of your 20% down is versus 5% and what that really means. Because, you know, I cross a lot of this in my world when people get so upset about mortgage insurance, like it's this horrible thing that they never want to mess with. And and I'm looking at them going, okay, so you want to put down $80,000 to save 60 bucks a month when in two to three years, you can completely get rid of it because all you have to do is get an updated appraisal, go to your servicing bank and they'll fix it. Or when we're talking, you mentioned the recast thing, you know, whenever you have your home, as long as you can qualify for two mortgages, you can always take that equity once you close and you can put it into your house if you absolutely want to. I don't recommend it all the time, but you can, right? Um, And you can set your new payment. It's called a recast. You can do it one time throughout the life of the loan, but there's a lot of options. So you, before you get your mindset as this is what it has to be, you got to kind of get creative and explore a few things. And I think especially for your agents, you know, the you, you spoke a lot about, you know, we have to prepare them for this. And this has to do with expectations, right? Mm-hmm. You've got to let your people know going into this stuff what the expectations are, because especially as an agent, if you don't present this picture clearly yeah. and help them understand, then a lot of times they think it's it's you. Right, right. right. And it's like, I, I knew all along that that yeah. was not going to happen. <laughs> right. So I need to help. And, and so we have been having conversations with some of our agents too on really like, hey guys, 
it's not that we don't want to serve the, that margin of population right. that does not have the cash right now, but we also want to show them the grace of not putting them through this process with the expectation that they are going to be a homeowner at the end of it if that really is not possible for them right now. And so we are going through and taking kind of our um, you know pipeline yep. of folks and saying, okay, you know, man, like let's create a plan for you to be a homeowner maybe in fourth quarter or maybe in 2023. Right. You know, how can we figure that out? Because and that way then from an agent perspective then we have time to serve the highest and best need like there because there are people out there right now that need us but that if we're busy showing people that really aren't eligible to buy or would be in a multiple offers situation you know in the bottom 20 of 40 offers then it's not fair to you know put set them up for that right, right. so we are doing a lot of those conversations what about on the listing side so obviously we say you know i said earlier well listings are easy nah, they're, they're not easy yeah. <laughs> certainly if you're the listing agent you're sifting through 50 offers that's not easy but um but it certainly is uh you know it's easier to sell for sure yes. um the yeah. process is more challenging sometimes but so what are you seeing on the listing side of things that you know some barriers you're running into or whether it be from the agent's perspective or the buyer or the seller's perspective what's some stuff you're you're dealing with there yeah pricing is really our biggest thing right now with um with listings and really we we deal with it somewhat on the buy side too because we're seeing listings come in kind of all over the board so in right. theory that that list price should be close to what it would have praise for but some of that is left up to opinion it's it's not just a super black and white there is some gray in between and so we're having to get really good at analyzing those comparables and saying okay here's where we where we think it is right now today um, and so we may have a listing appointment with somebody you know like in February that then they get their house ready to list and they're gonna list at the end of March. Well, we might've gone through two or three prices by the time we actually get to listing in March because we are continually pulling that to really make sure that we are dead on that pricing. Um, it's also difficult because we see these pricing, the pricing going up and we see sellers wanting to stretch a little bit on mm -hmm. that. Um, and so they're saying, well, you know, I know you're saying 415, but let's go ahead and go for 435 because, you know, my neighbors, everybody's telling me that things are going over. And that likely is true, sure. but we also have to really help them understand the, the validity of listing at more of that appraisal price so that that way then we can get really the end consumer, the buyer, to guarantee that portion that's over that appraisal. Right. Versus if we list it at a place that it really won't appraise, then we've got to deal with kind of backing into that number and how to create some fairness and equity among the parties for that. So, Well, it probably right. creates a bit of a challenge too, because if you're too far over the list price on what the house will actually appraise for, it's not that you can't get the offer, right. but finding a person that has an extra 30 or 40 grand or whatever the number is, right. that's where you have it. And then you go through two or three contracts before you actually get your house sold. And they get the the buyer consumer gets scared too because they do have an expectation. I'm going to have to pay over yeah. a list, but if it's overpriced in the beginning and then to pay over a list, that's where we see them really stagnate on the market, and then it just kind of creates issues from there. So we really are trying to nail that pricing dead on from the very beginning. So um, you know, I do know that you spend a lot of time in the classroom, which is um, one of the things that um, you know I admire about you because I think. A lot of people these days in, in all kinds of industries, not just ours, you know, we, we get to a certain point in our career and we kind of have it all figured out, right? Yeah, we have all the answers. Yet. Maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. I will someday. Right. Um, <laughs> no, we'll never get there. That's yeah. the point. But um, but yeah. you, you spend a lot of time learning and, and you know, growing that brain matter to kind of help you understand, you know, what the market looks like, where things are headed, where we've been. You know, history is important, too, because you mm -hmm. got to know these kind of things have occurred before. So. 
So you've been to a lot of economic forums lately, um, and I'm curious as to now we we obviously know four to five years there's going to be you know we're not getting any better as far as direct market, but what about like our industry as a whole, real estate mm -hmm. in general, lending, real estate, title, you yeah. know when you look at all kinds of technologies that are moving in, you know the i buyers, you have people that can go online. I think today. You know, somewhere uh, you could schedule your appointment, you know, on the internet, you could show up, you could make an offer, you could do all kinds of stuff, um, you know, pretty self-sufficiently, right? Yeah. Um, so anybody that has concerns about where, you know, in, let's say 10 years, 15 years, what does our industry look like and, and where are we headed? And then yeah. knowing that, how do, you, how do we position ourselves to still be relevant in whatever's coming down the pipe? So I think that's a great question, um, and it is something that keeps me up at night, just a titch. Yes, um, you know, knowing me that, too. I you know, think about hey, it a lot, yes. I put all my eggs in this basket. Spencer's working with me too. Like, hey, if, if this whole real estate thing like goes away, right. what, what's next? Right. Um, I will tell you, though, I talked to a lot of smart people about that, and what really I have found their gener general consensus that I'll share, um, not, so not as my original thought, sure. but, um, but is that there will be a place in the market really for all of those yeah. kinds. So there potentially will be a continuation of the iBuyer trend um, where you, know, you will see investor buyers coming in, purchasing homes putting them on some sort of like easy show system, writing their offer online and a consumer potentially buying it. What I'm really watching on that is this whole blockchain NFT, yes. crypto, like I think there is going to be this huge move for that, I've potentially more that so than iBuyer even yes. as we go. Well, you're creating um, a deed nowadays. You oh, can yeah. create a fractional a ownership <laughs> in, in real estate. So yeah. it's actually a good thing. It, it, it is actually, I, I, yeah, I think it really yeah. can be kind of the next generation of yes. some of that. Well, especially for affordable housing, that's the thing that, or, or attainable housing. Yeah. That's <laughs> the thing that with the blockchain yeah. and crypto, and I, I think crypto's a bad word to put with that. Yeah, I, I would say true. blockchain is, but you, when you have fractional ownership in properties that you can subdivide out and you can actually own a house yourself, but with multiple other people, mm -hmm. so it is affordable, so you don't have to have all of them. It's like crowdsourcing, you know, housing kind of, but. Yeah, and it's a different, yeah, you're buying the LLC instead of buying the asset. Right. It's it's a whole different thing. And so if all of that just sounds Greek, like there's a lot of classes out there. There's a yes. lot of information coming out about it and we'll continue to see more and more come out as it becomes more popular and that kind of thing. So all that to say is, I do think there will be a space for that. I yeah. think there'll be a space for iBuyer. I think there'll be a space for um, continued, um, less full service brokerages, right? So where it is more of just a, um, you know, just a listing on some sort of database, maybe MLS, maybe a different database, um, some sort of, you know, reduced fee situation. I liken it kind of to like a TurboTax type situation, right? Yep. So my dad loves TurboTax. He's done it forever, yep. you know, and he, you know, it's, that's his jam. And so he goes on and does it. His taxes are fairly, simple. you know, simple. Yep. And so he's really comfortable with it. Never had a problem with it. All good. My taxes are really more complex right. and I grew up with dad and I was like, yep, I'm supposed to do TurboTax and I start doing it and I got underwater very quickly right. in this um, this crazy career. Yes. And so I said, okay, I have got to hire somebody with actually some knowledge that can help me walk through some that experience. process. experience, right. Yes, and yes. I am happy to pay the right. fee to make that happen because I really, I need it um, to make sure that I'm safe, that my, my assets are safe, that everything is good. Yeah. And so I think there will be still a, a definitely a space for realtors as we continue to serve, not just that population, of course we'll serve all population, but 
I, def I don't think it will ever go away because we will have a lot of people that look at this as, oh my gosh, this is my biggest asset. Yep. It is not even something that I do every year like a TurboTax thing. It is something that I am doing, you know, maybe four times in my life and I really need to pay a professional to walk beside me. Yep. Um, and they, they should have some different product offerings, but they will be able to choose somebody to come in and help them with that. So. Well, and I think, you know, what I, my message that I'm sharing with, you know, agents and lenders and stuff that we talk to all the time to people on my team is we really have to, in order to put yourself in a position to where you still have value when these things start to change, mm -hmm. you've got to even reposition yourself a little bit in, in who you are and what you're representing to buyers and sellers, right? Because, you know, the days of just answer your phone, take someone to show them a house, write up a contract and you're good, you know, I think those days are fading. Yeah. And where we really need to get to is, you know, which is why we've had such great success for a long time is because we're the, we're the harbingers of information, right? We have all the information. Yeah. We know we've been through years of experience of dealing with all this stuff. And what you have to be able to present to people is your brain, your knowledge. Hey, yeah. this is what I know. This is what I understand. And and the great thing these days is social media is such a big tool yeah. because, you know, in the 60s, if you wanted to let everybody know about yourself, you had to take out an article in the newspaper. You had to, you know, <laughs> yeah. pay CBS $20 million to put an ad on TV. These days, it's free. You do it all day long, all by yourself. And, you know, it's it's we all do little silly things sometimes to put ourselves in a place to where people want to hear what you have to say, right? You have to put yourself in a place where you become an expert on a particular topic. And right. you can't be an expert at everything, right? Yeah. You can only be an expert, like you're not an expert on taxes, you pay someone right. to do that for you, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. So, but whatever it is that you're doing, real estate, mortgages, title, you know, home inspections, roofing, whatever, um, if you have knowledge and you have information, share it with people. Yes. Because that puts trust in you, that puts the, the fact that you are the expert, that you know what's happening, and people come to you for questions. And, and that's how I think we position ourselves going forward is you have to be the expert on your topic and you have to provide information. Because if you're just a regular lender that's just out there doing loans or you're just a regular agent that's out there writing contracts and you're not creating a, a space for yourself that puts you in a light where, hey, look, if you want to know how to do this, call me, talk yeah. to me, put me in that spot. Um, and I think that's where the market's going it's, as far as like, you know, us being able to keep our value I as agree. things progress. And we're working on that all the time. What is our value proposition? Right. Uh, we look at it as a brokerage, but we also look at it as an individual agent. What am I, what am I providing of value to that consumer for them to pay me that fee? And um, because I think that's what too, you know, realtors have gotten real comfortable for a long time on just like, oh, you know, this is our fee and blah, blah, blah. And we go on <laughs> and we don't ever talk about it. And we don't, right. don't really help the consumer understand all the pieces that are going on behind the scenes to do that. And so we are trying to get better at that. We will likely be um, pushed to get much better than that, much better on that um, soon too with um, changes in how compensation will come down for realtors yep. going forward. Um, and so we do anticipate that happening. And so we're already making steps to work on that to make sure that especially our buyer customers understand if they sign a client rep agreement with us, this is what we're gonna do for them, what we're, you know, and how we're gonna do that going forward and what that expectation is. Right. Like I had a buyer that just texted me before we sat down. I was like, okay, I need you to go see a house for me in 30 minutes. I'm like, okay, well, um, <laughs> Actually, I needed a little more yeah, time than that. Yeah. So, you know, I was able to schedule it right after this. But, yeah. um, you know, I do think that the buyers need to understand what they are paying for for theirs. And, you know, that's a lot of the time that that's on us that we haven't really ever said, hey, this is actually what we do for you, yeah. as crazy as that is. But 
Realtors just traditionally have had a hard time on it. Kind of like my CPA. I don't totally yeah. know what all he does for no. me, but you know, I don't, I haven't gone to jail yet. Yeah. So hopefully <laughs> he's doing good things. So well, anyway, so I think there'll be more of that as we go forward. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes as consumers, whatever it is that we're buying or purchasing and understanding when you're paying a fee for something, whether it be a realtor commission or whether it be, you know, to your CPA or whoever, um, you know, you look at the fee, like for your CPA, right? He sits down on a computer, punches yep. in a couple things, you know, yeah. changes a few numbers and you get a, you know, you get a bill for 1500 bucks and you're yeah. like, wait a minute, how's that work? Yeah, but, I could have done that. Right. Oh, wait, actually I couldn't. You couldn't because you don't have the 20 years of experience that he had, you know, or he or she had building up to that. Yes. So, um, so that's really what you're paying for most of the time, but it's just something you don't realize on a day-to-day -day basis when you see those bills, you're like, wait a minute, but you're paying for the expertise, right? I'm not, yeah. I'm not paying the plumber 500 bucks to come out for 10 minutes and change something on my toilet. It took five minutes. Yeah. I'm paying for the 10 years, you know, that he's yeah. been doing this and his knowledge so he can do it in five minutes, <laughs> take me six and a half hours. That's, that's what we're paying for. Yeah. Um, Okay, so so last thing I know, you know, there's uh, we, we've had I feel like a lot of doom and gloom to some extent oh, on this, you know, a little bit, um, but you know, I, I'm a big believer, and I think you are too, in that, um, you know, you have to know what's coming in order to put yourself in a position to adapt to the changing environment, right? To stick your head in the sand like an ostrich and and just ignore the the changes in your market and just think it's all going to keep chugging along the same way, you know, is is naive and I think a little foolish, um, you know, if you want to continue to have success. So you you have to be able to adapt and you have to be able to change. But let's end kind of on a positive note. So as as buyers and sellers and agents that are looking, what in your opinion, you know, what what is the true advantage right now? What why are we in a position now where it really is a good time to buy and sell, or it really is a good position to be in because of what's coming, right? Yeah, yeah. This is when you want to get aggressive is now, right? For sure. Like, so that's the, the best news out there right yes. now is the equity growth. Yes. I mean, it is just a phenomenal, life-changing, awesome situation. Yep. So yes, for as much doom and gloom as, as if you can get in the market, get in yes. at any level because that is going to put you on a um, growth pattern with that percentage of what your investment was initially. It's going to continue to grow for years to come. And so it is one of those where, you know, to me, it's that's it's an easy bet right now, yes. right? It's getting to live in an asset that is increasing every single day right. and you've got to pay for housing anyway. Right. So what, yeah, I you're, mean, there's a huge advantage yes. to this, right? Yes. So, um, you know, really Spencer and I had looked at this, um, you know, even last year and we're like seeing what was coming and, and said, you know, we really should have all of our, you know, eggs kind of in that basket. We should figure out how to maximize what we're living in right now um, safely, you know, not yeah, without, yeah. not, not crazy. going too crazy, yeah. but um, not at a place where we're just living in a, a minimum thing and then putting potentially assets in the market or something like that. We're trying to put all of our assets on that real estate side and watch it continue to grow over the next few years. Um, and then, you know, at some point have an exit strategy, but yeah. For right now, it, this is such a great time to really own that property and continue to ride it up. Yeah, so. the growth that's happening right now with equity, and, and again, you know, inflation is not a good thing. It affects us across the board in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, meat and, and groceries and gas and everything else that's 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 impacting. I mean, there's there's outside forces outside of inflation that sure. aren't just that, but. Um, but it certainly is impacting the, stuff. And this gives us at least something to battle Correct. and to stay it's at a hedge, par. Right? Yes, You're right? hedging. Yeah. So, I mean, we have homeowners that, I mean, bought last year, 
you know, 450 their house is worth, you know, five and a quarter this year. Those kind of numbers, that is a game changer. Yes. That's a life changer. Like right. what other asset could you have just lived in for a year and made $75,000? Like that's crazy. So it, but it really is real y'all. I mean, really the numbers are there. Now, again, I can't necessarily like give you a check for that because if you move, I need you to pay for it in another property, but um, it is really changing lives out there. And so we're just happy to be a part of that. Well, and I think the equity thing that, you know, I always call this, uh, you know, financial calculus a little bit in that um, there is, it, it, and this is, I would call it not risky, but certainly not something for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, an asset like your home or investment real estate or anything like that can be leveraged a lot of different ways to grow your wealth in other areas. Yes. Um, because when you have an asset that's going to continue to appreciate, we've talked about all the reasons why, because everybody says, well, there's this massive crash coming. It's like, not in real estate. I don't see it. You know, yeah. anything can happen, right? You know, right. the world is, is what it is. Right. Anything can happen. But based on everything that we see right now, that's not coming anytime soon. So this growth that you get in that equity on your house, you can use it in a lot of different ways. You can take equity loans, you can leverage you know, debt against your property to go buy more property, to reinvest in the market when you're paying interest on a loan that's even at 4% right now, which is mm-hmm. kind of where things are settling in, but you're getting a rate of return of six to eight to 10% on an index fund. Yeah. You know, I mean, easy. the Delta's easy on that, right? <laughs> yeah. You're making money. So, and again, I'm not saying this is for everybody, but it's just, it's just to highlight the fact that you know, yes, it's it's expensive right now to buy a house. Yes, you need a lot of cash. Yes, it's not easy out there, you know, chugging away every day, looking at 50 homes to try to get something under contract. True. But it is a it is well worth the effort if you can get it because the type of what we would call generational wealth that you can create or the first step, right? This isn't gonna take care of the, your kids, grandkids, but it certainly is the first step in moving in that direction by attaining these assets that you continue to leverage the rest of your life. and. A lot of people don't realize that, you know, when you look at the, what I would call the super wealthy, right? For the most part, they don't really sell assets very often, especially if they appreciate, they keep them, they hold them and they pass them on. And that's kind of how you start to grow this kind of stuff. But you have to think a little bit beyond the day-to-day bills of what I'm paying today. And it's not easy for everybody because a lot of us are living paycheck to paycheck and it's really, really tough out there. But if it means scrounging and saving and, you know, maybe laying off Starbucks for a month or whatever the case may be. I heard DoorDash needs a lot of drivers. I mean, I'm pushing everybody there. I'm like, y'all, don't don't be a consumer at DoorDash. Be a producer at DoorDash. It's awesome. Deliver it. Deliver it. But um, but anyway, I uh, I really appreciate you uh, sitting yeah. down and talking with me about this. Um, this is you know one of those things where everybody's running into challenges right now, and it's really hard to know where things are going and what's going to happen. And you know, any little insight we can always give is is helpful for folks. And you know, I want them. I encourage you guys if y'all have questions. Um, you know, Amy's been in this business a very long time. Uh, her brokerage is amazing. She has a ton of agents that work here. She's got a ton of help um, that my wife works here, by the way. So in all, uh, in all disclosure, right? Yeah. Um, but um, she's very helpful. She has a lot of knowledge. Her staff has a lot of knowledge. Uh, and she's never one to not answer her phone. So if you have questions, you know, please reach out to her. You know, you'll have your little phone number scribbled down here below. Cool. And if you're an agent looking for a brokerage, you know, this is a great landing spot as well. It's it's local, but she has branches in uh, Houston, Austin, San Antonio, yep. all over the state. So um, you know, reach out, ask any questions, and uh, you know, she'll certainly be there to help. So thank you so awesome. much. Thanks, I appreciate Mike. it. All right, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in. Bye guys.